Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. For me, it's all about collaboration. So you're making a story with the actor, the actor to talk about the way they see the story, and then recounting what they get out of the script. I can see their point of view and how they're approaching it. And it just tells you whether you're on a similar tonal road as to what you want to do. It may be that they come up with something completely different that really cracks your eyes open as to what it could be. So it's just being open to that. And that's the beginning of that relationship. Then you, then you, for me, it goes through the entire process of always rehearsal. And by rehearsal, I mean Rehearsal is a constant ongoing dialogue between the actor and the director, whether that's late at night over a cup of tea, whether that's, you know, a rushed conversation in the morning. It's just constantly opening the dialogue as to how they're feeling about the work, what are the things that are uh, pinging for them. It may be something I had a, a, a wonderful actor I worked with recently here who um, rang and said to me, uh, now I want you to know um, my wrists are okay and my ankles are okay, but there's nothing really else I'm comfortable about with my body. And I'm like, this was a very intimate piece. I was like, okay, okay, all right. Let's just unpack a few of these things. And working then, then I was able to work very closely with the costume designer and say, okay, they are understandably freaked out. They, you know, in in their own words, they said, I thought I'd got to to an age where I was no longer going to be, be doing these kinds of, scenes these intimate scenes so I just didn't want to deal with anything from here down um, so that level of conversation uh, has to be had and again you're feeding that into your heads of department and you cannot do what what they're doing you know once once you call action and once it starts it's completely over to them so I want them to take that responsibility and enjoy that responsibility but also feel that we've had enough dialogue that they understand what the moment is of the story that they're in without having to be completely responsible for all the other aspects of the script. Yeah, I think that actors do sometimes feel like they have, they're responsible for everything, for getting everything right. And I yeah. think you mentioned something about uh, being able to sort of allay those fears by saying it's not just about your performance, there is so much more going on. Could you elaborate well, on that? Yes, I, it's something, it's something I, I constantly relearn, which is, Sometimes an actor will come in to do a scene and I'll think, God, they're really, they're really waiting it. I wonder what it is. And then you, you realise, I haven't explained to them what I'm doing before this, visually what I've set up, the way I've shown the landscape, the way I've done it. And you sit down and you say, I'm doing this, this and this, and you show them some shots and they're like, ah, ah. So I'm like, I've already said that you're, you know, for example, a diminished person in this vast landscape. You don't have to, you just need to be in that. So it's, it's them understanding the levels of weight of what they're conveying at any time. And if you've done your work together properly, you've kind of mapped out the emotional journeys, then you can, you can, you know what the important scenes are, but you also have to be open. There are times that on set where a scene which may feel insignificant suddenly becomes something and you realize that the weight of the story is shifting. For, for me, a story when you're telling it is a very alive, organic thing and you need to be open to what it is producing something may come out of the actor and you think okay that that actually has just shifted the whole nature of what we could do at this point and again if you're having that dialogue with them they feel they understand and therefore can be involved in the story being told mm. so there's preparation but yeah. not so much preparation that you're locked into something yes i don't if I, if I start to become very familiar with what an actor's doing i will then probably take them aside and say okay, we're falling into a bit of a pattern here. What can we do to, to shift this? We all love watching things which feel transcendent and where you feel like no one had any idea that was gonna happen. That's the magic that we're always trying to create. It needs to feel real and present and alive. You wanna disappear into something that you're watching, not think, wow, that was masterful. That was a great performance. You, you, don't, you can think that afterwards. In the moment, you just wanna be caught up in it. That, that's so interesting, what you're saying there about seeing some uh, a performance become familiar so what might be a conversation that you would have with an actor in that scenario if you were, if you're thinking okay we've got we just need to shift something something's got to change here often what i'll do is i'll talk to the other actor in the scene and uh, say this this is becoming slightly we've fallen into a safe 
routine of what we're doing, sometimes you're working with people and you can see that they're just going, it's a terribly um, base way of talking about it. It's like your line, my line, your line, my line. And what you're interested in is the space between, the, the space that occupies between the actors. So sometimes it's a chance of talking to the other actor and saying, I want you this time to play it at this level, or I want you to come in at this point, or I want you to do this. I want you just to turn your back on them. I want you to, you, you can use different techniques. And suddenly the other person <laughs> wakes right up, <laughs> like, yes. you know, and they may stop and go, what's going on? It's like, okay, you're no longer, uh, you, what you wanted or what you're pursuing has become so um, easy for you. You're no longer working. You're no longer engaged in what's going on. That's I mean, right. it's a, you're, yeah, surprised yeah. out of your pattern, which is good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and you've worked with you look. You've worked with so many terrific actors over the years of your in your career so far. And I'm wondering, there must be wildly different ways of working. We're, we're such different beasts as actors. How yeah. do you manage that? Or or what are the different ways you work? And perhaps you could give us some examples of those different ways of working. Yes. One of the things I tried to do when I was younger was I, every year I would do a different, a different type of acting course. So I would put myself in that position. I often got caught out. I would be in a course and someone would say, you're just observing. I'm like, <laughs> maybe. So I learned very quickly that if you were going to partake in something like that, you had to engage and be part of it. But by doing that, I think one of the ones that taught me the most, I did a course with a, a wonderful woman in the States called Judith Weston. And the first thing she did was she had, and it was, it was directing for actors. She had a, a group of us. We were all, you know, regularly working directors at quite a high level. We we're sitting in a room and she said, very beginning of the day, um, I'd just like you to stand up and sing your name and sing one line about yourself. And at that point I thought, it's only a thousand dollars. I'm just going to, um, and I was really broke at the time, but I'm just going to leave. I was so confronted by being asked to do that one thing. And of course, you, then you get panicked and think, I don't want to be the last person. So you end up, you do it. She doesn't say anything about it, but you, in that one moment, you realize you're just making us understand how an actor feels all the time. And that to me was a kind of a, a primal shift. It was like, okay, it's a very, very vulnerable place for people to work from so you need to be aware of that and open to that mm. and then the other thing I would do I guess is rather than talk technique so much actors will often talk to you about if you start having an open conversation how they work now some people like I work with Olivia Coleman a lot I've worked with her several times now she she doesn't want to have a discussion about process because that's a very private thing for her she just she comes to that how she comes to it and she doesn't want to ruin it by trying to analyze it because that doesn't work for her but what does work for her is if you talk about the emotional thrust of the story and what you're hoping for the audience to feel and why that's going on she just gets it immediately and then and the shifts between takes are amazing and other actors will want to talk from a more research-based thing of of history of the character and things so you need you need to find out what is useful to them but make sure they're not getting weighted down by that so sometimes, again, the research can become a kind of, I'm so caught up in the physical characteristics of, the, of what I feel this character should be doing, I've completely forgotten to be in the scene. I'm, I'm aware of what my mouth is doing, or I've, you know, and it's quite, particularly on something like The Crown, where you have people playing well-known historical figures. But I always look at some, you know, I looked at when that started, and I wasn't sure what I was going to feel about it when I first watched it. But you... John Lithgow walked on. I thought any show that cast John Lithgow as Churchill, I'm in. That's, you know, and he didn't try and be Churchill. He had certain characteristics, but he just inhabited the man. How, how would you say that the theatre has impacted your work? And I know that you grew up with a, a mother who worked in the theatre. And uh, so you would have been surrounded by quite a lot of theatre people. How do you think that's informed your work? Yeah, I grew up I, and I absolutely love the theatre. I think what I got most from growing up in it and what I continue to get from being an avid theatre goer is there's such a freedom on stage. You would know this because it's no one's going to say cut. So you, you're able to have this absolutely kind of real life organic thing playing out. And what I gain from that as a director constantly is this sense of what happens if you just let the reins off a little bit? What happens if you just let them go? 
if that makes sense, Jennifer. Yes. So it, giving it giving actors the freedom to actually run through a scene. So I, so if I'm working, if I'm working a scene, if we're coming in to do a scene, you know, and often crews will say something like, oh, look, should we just find a shot to start with? It's like, no, I have no idea. The actors haven't even been in this environment yet. This is their house, supposedly they live here, they need to come in here. It's another thing I try and do in pre-production is, is allow the cast or, or have, give the cast access to their homes or their rooms or their places so they can come and stand in a set and go, oh, right, it would be really useful to me if I had this or this is something I've learned about the character. So you dress little things in that are meaningful to them. You're trying to make it as believable as possible in imaginary circumstances. So anything you can do to support that. But again, when you're blocking and working a scene, I want to block and run the whole thing. Yeah. It's hard enough not being able to run the story from A to B. You've got to at least be able to do the scene beginning to end. That's right, because then the actor feels the energy of it. They feel the flow of it. They've got, and then they can pick that up in smaller shots later. Yes. But they've actually felt it once and gone through it once. Yeah. That's, that's you right. talked about the vulnerability of actors, and that's, that's so true. Where do you feel most exposed and vulnerable in your work as a director? Um, often in the edit, I'll see something quite late in the process and realise what my particular worldview is or my view on, say, love is. Or... So I, you get exposed through your own work and it's just, it takes time to see it, but you start revealing things about yourself that perhaps make you uncomfortable or make you realise you're particularly stuck in a, in a way of thinking. I also feel, I mean, I'm quite raw on set. I like to be open to what's going on. Um, it took me a long time to be able to say, I don't know, I don't know what the answer is, or I'm not sure here, or we're trying something. But as soon as I started speaking to the crews and the people around me like that, everyone kind of relaxed. And I realized it was good to be able to say, I know these things about what we're doing, but I don't know these. And the reason I don't know them is because we haven't done them yet. We're in the process of creating something. In order to do that, I don't want to make everything finite. I want to be open. So particularly heads of department, our conversations will be about the kind of emotional, I work a lot in the kind of feelings, emotional area. That's where I kind of come from. So that's what I'm always talking to them about. This is a scene about two people who feel this way towards each other and what we're trying to convey or get to is this. And then they contribute visually or they contribute orally to that. Yes, that's the collaboration, isn't it? That's because, the collaboration. Because, uh, you know, there's an idea that the technicians, you know, want to have technical talk. But if you said, okay, you know, there's a huge thrust of feeling there, well, that's all probably going to inform, you know, how the camera moves or how the dolly moves or, or whatever. All of that stuff, you know, it becomes this beautiful dance where you are all in, all, you know, uh, sensing the feeling. You do, and you, you know, I, I was shooting, there was a, there's a beautiful Brazilian cinematographer that I've been working with here called Adriana Goldman, and we were shooting a, a lovemaking scene, and I, I mean, I was really moved by what the actors would do. It was so um, unexpected and very moving and very raw and vulnerable, and I turned around and he was just sobbing, just, you know, sitting there next to me, we're in a tiny space, just quite, and I said, are you okay? And he said, it's so beautiful. It's so, and I just thought, oh my God, <laughs> you know, to have someone sitting like that beside you is, but I really deeply believe that people get into film and television because they want to tell stories because they fell in love with cinema or they fell in love with television. Every crew member is like that. I, 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 don't, I, I don't find, you know, they don't get into it because it's a great job. They get into it because they love the art form. And it's your job often as a director to, give them the space and remind them of that and allow them to contribute to what you're doing. And everyone, if everyone starts getting excited and engaged about what you're doing, then, then magic can happen. Indeed. What do you think some of the most, well, what are the most common questions you've been asked by directors? You know, the things about blocking or how to talk to actors. I've heard directors sometimes say, hey, you know, how do you talk to actors? Because we're some strange sort of, some strange beast that... With a, with a lot of what we all do, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, people think there's these great vast areas of knowingness that they'll suddenly stumble upon this, you know, this planet of answers of, you know, what's the language that actors speak and they, they speak the same language we all do. You don't, you don't have to understand their language. You need to be able to convey what you're trying to achieve and give them the space to contribute to that. But I'd say the, the primary, the kind of base note question that I get most from directors is how do I get actors to do what I want them to do? 
and if and and the question in itself is is problematic because you can't they're a living creative being that are contributing to an art form that you're doing so the question is how do you, how do you work with actors to get the best out of them to contribute best to what you're doing and i would you know for that do your homework and analyze your script make sure that you do understand what the scene is about it's great to be to have your you know kind of visual contribution of the way you want it to look why do you want it to look like that they need to understand what where that's coming from and figure out what type of people they are. So, you know, some people are very oral. There are some actors I work with who really love to have music playing all the time. That's great. And I just sometimes have to take the sound guy aside and say, you're going to hate this for the next 10 minutes, but we're going to get something really beautiful. And, and if you engage them in it, and then I promise we'll do a pass where you can get everything clean, but just let them use this to get to where they need to get to. It's about giving them the opportunity to open up their channels, right? Yeah. And what are the things that you can do to inspire the storytelling within the actor? Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. Then you'll get the it wonderful is, stuff. It yeah. And it does, it does also come back to those things of, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with, with actors individually before we start shooting. I try and not put them together too much because I love the explosion or the implosion that happens when they meet on a set. Um, Sometimes it's really important. Sometimes if you're doing something uh, that's, that involves a, a, a deep kind of choreography, then you may want to have worked that out. But it's also great to see what people will bring into a scene. And if you've had that individual time, you, you tend to then have a sense in your mind of how they might be. So when you come to blocking in your head, you, you've got a sense of it. But I remember a, um, a dramaturg that I worked with years ago saying to me, if you just block, exactly as you see it you're just going to have 10 versions of yourself in a scene how interesting is that that just shuts down whatever the actor is going to contribute to it so even though i might have blocked in my head i have a I, i've spent enough time with the actors to to have a sense of the way they might physically move about the space i have a sense of their emotional drive in that particular part of the scene i will have discussed that with them and then even so, when I come to set, I will make suggestions of what I think it could be, but I'm also very open to where they may and may not want to move. And sometimes it may be as simple as, listen, we've got, we've got real issues with the light coming through that window. Can we, have, can we just not get stuck there? And if you have that conversation, it might be to do with time or light and things. Often actors are like, yeah, that's fine. Just, just give me the space of where I can work and then we're okay. But if you don't engage them in it and you keep that secret from them, it's very hard for them to feel part of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, are there some things that you would like to let actors know about approaching a role or approaching a production? Or you talk about preparation when you're a director. I think yeah. that is important for an actor. It's really important. I think um, I've ended up in conversations with actors a couple of times where where it's got quite difficult, and the question has ended up being do you want to play this role in this story the way it's written? Or did you hope that this story would become something else? <laughs> and as uncomfortable as those conversations are, they're great to have. Yeah. Because sometimes actors get to a point, if they're struggling with something or fighting it or not comfortable with it, you know, often it's, there are difficult things in, in the, in the, in the pieces that you're doing. And it's, but the minute you kind of have that conversation, I think then they feel safe enough to go, yeah, I'm really struggling. I am, I am finding this. I'm not relating to this or I'm feeling this or I'm struggling with this aspect of something else coming at me. Sometimes you get two actors who just don't gel. You might not know that on screen, but it's just, they come from such different methodologies and you have to, I think as a director, you have to protect the different methodologies, make sure it's not, one's not rubbing the other up the wrong way. You know. Yeah, yeah. There is that um, that tendency for actors to sometimes, yeah, get very protective of what's coming out of their mouth, or, or very choosy about what's coming out of their mouth. And actually, you have to serve the script. And and yeah. how, it's often about how you perceive yourself to be or something. So I can I can see yeah. how important those conversations are to have. You're obviously been have spent the last year on this monster production of The Crown. You've come in at series four. And I come at series three, it's my second series time. Three. I beg your pardon, yeah. series three. And 
you said that it's essentially like doing a feature film. Each episode is like a feature film and it takes that long. So you have all of the resource. It's not to yeah. say that, that you're so protected that you're not working damn hard, but you have a big beast of a thing around you. And I, I just wonder how that has been for you. Was it the sort of biggest bite you've taken so far in your directing career? Oh, God. Yes and no. No, it, I would say Apple Tree Yard probably was that yeah. because, because of the nature of the story. It was a story I felt that could go, could be received in different ways. And it was really important to me, the, my particular female gaze on that story. So I, that's probably where I felt most exposed. And that was the biggest jump for me. And you were the um, only director on that, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. and here you so, are a part of it. But here I'm part of a team, which is yes. great. So you're supported by the team, um, but it's... Uh, I don't think I quite realised until I started on The Crown just, um, in a sense, the kind of level at which they were working, and it was fantastic, but there is, there are no excuses. There's nowhere to hide. Anything that you can think of, they can make happen. So you need to really be able to think very vastly about what you're trying to achieve. So how much latitude do you have then when you see a, a story? Lot. You come up... You, a historical yeah, when you are... Yes. I mean, you're always coming up against the research department. You make good friends with the research department and say, but what if I was just to suggest, would that be okay? And sometimes they'll say yes and sometimes they'll say no. But I also, out of those conversations, they'll tell you some really brilliant anecdote. You're like, oh, great. Can we get that in there? Can we get that moment in there? Peter is... Um, a phenomenally good writer. This is Peter Morgan, the creator Morgan, of The Crown. Yeah, very sophisticated. The scripts read so easily. They're only about 41, 42 pages long, and you end up with, you know, 56 minutes of material. He is so open to directors going, I'd like to shoot, you know, I had a whole lot of stuff I wanted to do with the astronaut sequence about going into space and what the travel was like for him and the kind of personal experience of and he was like yeah great go for it you know just show me what you've got um so he's to work with someone like that was brilliant it was really great really and then good. of course and then of course you have these stupendous actors yeah. and look i have to get you to to talk about that little anecdote you said about olivia coleman and helena bonham carter sitting in the makeup truck and um bias and saying yes yes please tell our people because it's so delightful and and really relates back to you saying how completely different the methodologies of these actors are yes so so tobias is very very intensely focused very prepared incredibly um intellectually focused on what it is and, and very emotionally in tune too but loves to be very quiet and calm and focused in the makeup track Helena is just like, you know, the most, like a kind of delightful squirrel. She just loves to kind of run everywhere. And, you know, you'll be in the middle of a scene and she'll go, I just don't think I'd have my shoes on here. <laughs> oh my God, we've been shooting for four hours. <laughs> okay. No, you can't take your shoes off, but you can do the other. But then you, when you end up with her on screen, it's so beautiful. And then you have Olivia who just is very cheeky, very funny and wonderfully deflective. So Helena and Olivia organised the makeup truck so Tobias would have to sit in between them, which just tortured him every morning because they would talk across him, they would make jokes, they would throw things, they had drinks going on. So this year he asked to be moved down the other end and I think he said <laughs> for a while, but then they moved themselves down there. I mean, there's great love between all these actors and they're brilliant together. It's just that they have different ways of doing it. Collie doesn't like, uh, she, she likes it to be very relaxed and very free and she, it makes her anxious if you get everything very quiet and very focused beforehand. Tobias likes it to be really quiet and focused beforehand. Helena will, is kind of, is deeply instinctive and will just kind of respond to whatever's going on. So, you know. So how do you manage that on set then? When you've got an actor who wants energy around them and an actor who wants stillness? If it's Helena's story, I'll say to the other actors, this is how she works. And this is, we, it's best if we can be open to this. So I'm really careful with who I cast coming into her world when she's Princess Margaret. And I'll talk to an actor. We had a beautiful actor called Tom Burke come and, come and play a role in, the, in this new series. 
and he was so great in the audition and one of the but near the end I said look this is how Helena likes to work and he was like great I'm completely up for that which is good so we'd had that thing because it is can can appear quite anarchic to another actor it can be a little like oh. but that is her way of finding what she's doing it's great it but if Helen is in a scene and it's Tobias's story I'll sometimes take her aside and say now listen and she'll immediately go oh, yep fine and she'll 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 suddenly stop doing you know and just hit her moments and it's great and leave him the space to do what he needs to do yes. so it's just having those conversations of whose moment it is what it is yeah, and that's the mark of a professional ensemble, isn't it? And that's the joy of a professional ensemble. They're so, I mean, they're brilliant. The, the best scenes are when they're all in them together. I mean, they're great. It's a little bit like being in a classroom, but it's so much fun. And they wind each other up and they're trying to see what they can get out of each other. But there is immense respect and love between the cast. I wonder if you could tell us about a couple of or maybe one or two big big challenges that you've had in your directing career where you've gone, I don't, I don't know how to find my way out of this, or there's been a particularly different episode with a difficult episode with an actor. How you've Yeah, sure. So the way out of that. As, a, as a director, I have I've hit a couple of points in my um, career or my working life where in retrospect I've realized that I I lost my voice. So sometimes um, Hasn't happened for a while, but, I, but I'd fallen into a pattern where I had, say, a particularly strong actor, writer, and a particularly strong writer, producer. And rather than do what I should have done, which is held my ground about what I felt between those two quite varying opinions, um, I felt that I started to serve both of them and completely forget what my purpose was in, this, in, that, in, that, in that role as a director. So I think that can happen directorially and I've certainly experienced it. And you often have to really recenter yourself and think, hang on a minute, what do I want to say here? Does it, it, whether people agree or doesn't, don't agree is, is not the point. The point is conveying what you want to say and having those difficult conversations. It may be at the end of an eight-hour session, you go, okay, I've completely come around to your way of thinking. Great, we'll tell it this way. But it's much better to, to stand your ground and say why you're standing your ground and then, then go forward. I mean, I find that the, I, all the time now, at initial meetings for projects, I describe the way I see the piece and I ask them to describe the way they see the piece to me. So then we can figure out if we're on the same tonal thing. If you have a polite, fun conversation and you get the job, but then you're doing something that you're not comfortable with or you're doing something that they're not comfortable with, it's it's a waste of someone else's creative opportunity. So you just yeah. got to be brave yeah, and be open. know that you're, you're working with people who are on the same page, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, t you're telling the same story in the same way and, the, and the, you're open to the possibilities of what that is. So you just, you have to be frank yeah. um, without shutting down other people's ideas. I, I can certainly think with uh, easily accessible shame of situations I've been in with actors where I have m missed an opportunity to help them or not enabled them in a situation. I just, it's hard to be specific without giving things away but you know you, it, all that's an opportunity for learning and and I've always tried to go back and say to them I didn't really support you in this moment and I realized what was going on and I'm sorry about that mm. that is part of our growth as a, as, a, yeah. as a practitioner isn't it yeah it sounds to me that you that working in the UK is incredibly rewarding for you you know you get these wonderful access to these wonderful actors and scripts and do you see yourself staying there for a while? I've got a 13 year old now. So she came here when I, with us when we were and our 25 year old lives around the corner. But so for our, our kids are now very entrenched here as well. I love the British industry, but I always keep an eye out for stuff at home. Always, always, always constantly kind of trying to find out what's going on. If there's something there that I can do, I think we'll be here for a while, but I, but I, you can still work globally even though you're living here. Do you think you, you were attracted to that British style of things because of growing up in New Zealand? Because I think that was our diet, basically, of British film and television. It was. I, I, um, I was anxious when I first arrived here, and then when I arrived, I felt immediately at home. Um, I feel very... It's a very welcoming industry. 
but, but I say that as someone who landed with a fully formed career. So I was lucky. I, I came in on the wave of, hey, let's find some more female directors. And I was new because they didn't know me, but I had a lot of work under my belt. So I was, it was just a really great piece of zeitgeist timing. Yeah. Well, wonderful. We're very proud of you being out there in the world doing your thing. Now, I think that we have uh, some time for questions now. So if... I can start the questions now if you'd like. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Alex. What's on the cards today? You've locked down the edit. Yeah. You've got to pack a big pile of scripts that have been waiting for you for the last year. <laughs> I read two a day, two a day at the moment. It's, yeah. But it's good, it's great, it's nice to have it. Kiora? Kiora? Kiora. Hi, um, I just wanted to know, hi um, Jessica, thanks for doing this. Um, as a director, how open are you to seeing no-name actors for a role? Like, do you personally ever scout out talent or do you leave it up to the casting directors to do that? No, I go, I, I go to a lot of small theatre when I can and I keep an ear out and other actors lead you to, to upcoming actors. I do it through casting agents. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not close to any of that. I think if, you know, people, and people can send in, in things. I'll always watch it. It's great. I mean, pre preferably I like to be in a room with people if I can. COVID yeah. changed that, but yeah. Oh, that's really good to know. Thanks. No worries. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Michelle. Oh, hi. Um, kia ora, Jessica. Thank you for doing this. Um, can you tell us about how you help craft a story, working with a writer or writer's room to, to craft the story and make it better? Yeah. Um, it depends on the writer's room when they feel it's useful to bring the director in. Uh, and the last few years here, I've come in very early on, on um, projects. So I've worked twice with Abby Morgan, who I really love. Uh, you... It's a combination. You, you know, things I've learned over, over the years is not to get in the writer's way too much. If you're going to be in the room, just let that room flow. Your job sometimes is to observe and kind of soak it up. There'll be things that you hear in the writer's room that can really feed into what you're doing later on set. But um, it's, it's like a river flowing. You don't want to, and I've been guilty of this, you don't want to get them stuck by being practical or, oh, I don't know whether that's possible or, oh, that's all at night or just let the story take its form and then you can find ways to to feed back into that so it's it's understanding which stage of the processes you're coming in if it's early and it's in a development stage i tend to sit back and and feed into the writer what's useful if it coming if it's coming through character there may be something that i've been following through character that suddenly feels like it's taken a left turn so i might ask that question and sometimes it's just being there to say you know you brought me in because we wanted to tell a story about a woman who and I feel like we're losing track of that story. Might be becoming something more interesting, but is that what it is? Um, and then later stages, you would feed in much more specifically at a more finished script stage on, on, a, on a proper pass. You'd sit down, um, over, over here you do a page turn with the writer where you sit down with the writer and you go through beat by beat by beat, scene by scene. You talk about the way you see it and the writer will go, oh, that's really interesting. But actually what I intended here was and that's such an important conversation to have. What you believe is the intent, what they believe is the intent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, Richard. Yes, you're all good, Richard. Can you hear oh. me now? Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, great. Uh, thank you very much, um, Jessica and guys. Um, my question is really just, are there, in general, are there any... Um, main points of difference when you're directing like highly experienced actors and you know actors with say very little experience yeah the, the main point of difference i would say um one of the fundamentals is in um uh script analysis and blocking would be the two things so with a with a very a new actor i would um work through the script analysis with them just to make sure often just making sure that they know the basic questions that they're asking of themselves within the scene, you know, what they want, how they're going to go about getting it, what they're kind of, what that scene, the, the role of that scene and the overall story, so that they understand those building blocks. And then in terms of blocking, because um, I found often with younger or newer actors, they're, they're very keen to please the director and very keen to kind of do the right thing. So they'll 
go where you ask them to, but there's no natural impetus or there's no kind of, so it's more talking about why would we move here or what might, what might instigate that move or what is it that you would cross the room for or why are you sitting down and why are you standing? So helping them to start question their physical choices about they would, the way they'd move around a space in a scene. I try and also have much more time with them before we're on set so they feel, so, so I, I know that their preparation's been done, whereas I know with a much more experienced actor, they will have done all of that. They All of that's done and they arrive with this kind of amazing um, smorgasbord of options and choices that you can then discuss with them. Thank you, Richard. Hi there. Hi, how you doing? Good. Um, Hi, Jessica. Um, I was lucky enough to work with you, um, Curtin, about 14 years yes. ago. I, oh my yeah. God, how are you? Good, good, good. How are you? Um, yeah, that was a great experience for me. And um, uh, that was a political and historical drama. Is, is there any, uh, my question is, are there any uh, uh, special theme or uh, genre you like or you are? particularly attracted to? Yes, I am uh, deeply attracted to redemptive stories. So I don't mind stories that are difficult or uncomfortable, but I, I, I like hope, I like redemption, I like love. You know, I, those are the stories that I'm really interested in putting back out into the world. They, I don't mind them being uncomfortable or challenging, but at their heart, um, I kind of move away from nihilism and towards hope and redemption. That's really what I want to, that's, and, and it doesn't matter what genre, whatever, anything that it's in, as long as I feel something for those characters and, that, and there is some kind of transcendent experience which enables us as a community to think about the way we are and think about the way people are, you know, I think that's great. I think that's Thank a you. message for the world, Jess. Good. <laughs> It's a message for the world and how it is right now, away from nihilism and towards hope. Thank you Isn't so much. Isn't there a fantastic campaign going on with, um, hi Kay? I think you're on, you're muted. Okay. Oh, sorry. Um, you're good, you're good. Okay, thank you. Um, lovely to see you, Jess. Been following all your beautiful work over in the UK. Um, and my question is, um, you were just actually touching on it, that you treat um, uh, the more experienced actor differently to, in terms of helping them with their preparation. So um, with, you spoke about working individually with actors before coming on set. How much, I'm always questioning how much analysis to do before coming on set so that it's still friendly. Yeah, I think, I don't, I don't, um, I know there's, uh, there's different methodologies. People break things down into beats. So I, I don't find that very useful for the way that I work because it becomes, um, there are so many beats and there are so many possibilities. And I, I just think there's, it's room, for me, I find it more interesting uh, to get an, get an over, overarching view of what's going on, the kind of want and the need and the kind of what they're going about to get that thing. Um, and I just, I, I like things to kind of find their space within it. And I guess it's, it's coming again from theatre. It just, it, it is, or growing up in that world, it's allowing the space to happen between the actors to see what's interesting in there and trusting the writing. You know, if you've really, the writers have thought a lot about what they're, what they're doing. There's been an enormous amount of things. It drives me slightly crazy when people go, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to throw this in. It's like, yeah, they did, they did spend a lot of time thinking about why, they were, why that was there. I had, I had an actor who was really aggressive, turned up on set one day, just hugely big bloke, and it was his first scene, and it was in the UK here, and he was really kind of in my face, and, you know, when are we having lunch, and I don't think I should do this, and I'm definitely not doing the kiss at the end of the scene. I was like, okay, woo-hoo-hoo. Right, why wouldn't you do the kiss? Well, I just don't understand why it's there. Okay, well, should, should we unpack that for a minute? Why has the writer written this in? It's making you really uncomfortable, which I think is really interesting. And by the time we'd kind of gone through, he was completely freaked out. And then he sat down with me a few hours later and he said, you know why I did that? And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm just shitting myself. And I said, yeah, I totally get it. It's a big, he'd come onto a big show as a new person 
and uh, uh, it was quite a thing to be in the room with. And he was, and he was playing a, a, a very difficult character. But sorry, I completely went off on a side angle there. But, but only to say, um, your analysis is important in that you need to understand, you need to make sure you understand, you need to understand all the beats that the scene needs to carry. But I don't think the actor needs to be responsible for all of them. A lot of them can come from your visual storytelling, the pacing of the editing, what you're doing orally. You can do the, some of that heavy lifting. Asking the actor to do all of those things, you're just going to end up with something which is overtold, which is overly heavy. The audience wants to, we want to be figuring things out for ourselves. We want to be having questions put forward. Beautiful. Yeah. Because otherwise it's a burden really, isn't it? To yeah. so much structure and shape, whereas you don't know what it's got to be more organic. Yeah. Yeah. It can be very, yeah. You, and you feel it. You can think, I mean, this is working as in I understand it, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not believing it. I'm not engaged in anything here. And that's when you need to kind of shake things up a bit. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Hi, Elinda. Hi. Go ahead. Hi from Perth, WA. Hello. Jessica, you mentioned about um, directing challenging pieces and a particular series that, that had a great effect that I really loved, although it was incredibly challenging to watch, was, of course, Apple Tree Yard. And I wondered whether you had any particular... Um, anything that you might like to say about the difficulties of, of directing a piece like that, which is challenging material, particularly in the light of the whole Me Too movement and the whole, the problems of, of doing such intimate and physical sort of stuff on set. There's been a lot of talk about this, a lot of workshops going on in Australia over the last couple of years about intimacy on set, the choreography, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Anything that you might like to, to say about that series? Um. So there's two, kind of two different questions. There's the intimacy end of it, because Apple Tree Yard doesn't have a, a, a lot of intimacy in it. It's, no, it's, it's more, I suppose it's more violence, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is, there is, there is this, this, um, this stuff between Ben and Emily in bed, which is lovely. And there is the sex scene right at the beginning. I mean, they, they were, you know, two very experienced, very grown-up actors who were great friends and really trusted each other. So, the, the, you know... The, the three of us had, and particularly they had between them, very frank conversations about how those scenes, exactly what was going on in terms of, the intimacy always has to be approached from the drama. What's the drama of the, what's the purpose of the drama that you're telling? And then you work out the intimacy to reflect that. Um, I'm, you know, it's great that those conversations are going on and, I, and, and hopefully the, there is profound shift coming from that. My big, Fear with Apple Tree Yard was less about those sequences than about the at the end of the book there's a there's a twist which people read so some people had read as oh she did it she was kind of behind it all along you know the kind of femme fatale she was driving this and when I went to speak to the author that was my big question was I don't read that like that I, I read that end scene with her as her asking something of someone in a in a that in her head she wants, but in reality she doesn't. Yes, I want you to hurt him like he hurt me. Yes, I want him to be gone. Yes, I want him, but I don't actually. That's just, that's just something that, would, that, that kind of selves me in this moment, in this moment where I feel safe and I can say that to you and I'm getting out, at, out by saying it, but it's not really what I want. Whereas she was saying it to someone who, was, who wanted to be her savior, wanted to be her hero, that wanted to enact that thing. And but I said, so I just said to her, that's my interpretation of it. And she was great. She said, that's my interpretation of it too. She still loved him till the end, even though she knew she shouldn't. And we just had this brilliantly complicated conversation then that went on for, well, still going on. She's still a friend um, about, about the natures of um, just, just female gaze, abuse, all, the, all of those areas that we were in. But I was just... I just, I'm not really in love with that kind of psychological thriller where it's like, aha, she was this evil thing. You know, I just, I'm more interested in, she was a, a middle-aged woman who was really isolated and slightly lost in her life and was, and was thinking, is this it? And, and, and saw this thing and went, I just want to, I just want to have something like this while I've, you know, while I still can. So, yeah. Thank you. Hi, Laura Jane. 
Hello. Thank you so much for your time. This is so valuable, all of this oh, stuff. Great. Um, I'm, I've been an actor for about 10 years and in the last couple of years I went back to uni and did a film degree. So I, I still feel very new to directing. But because I have the background in acting, I feel quite comfortable talking yeah. to actors and collaborating with them. I just wondered if you had any advice for new directors, specifically about the technical stuff in terms of, I find that I don't have any ideas for the story until I start collaborating with the cinematographer and, yeah. and all of those people. I, but you know, when you come to the first meeting, you kind of, as a director, you want to come with lots of those ideas already. Yeah. And start workshopping them. But I just find that I have, I'm not able to do that until they give me some ideas. And then that kind of takes me off on a tangent. I just feel very confident with the actors, but not so much all of the other creatives. Do you feel, um, do you, when you read a script, do you see it? I like, do. do you, yeah. So, so you're fine. I think, I think what, what, what it is, is finding a way to, you know, um, just, just go online and find images that might speak to it. Think about uh, films that might reference. I mean, I, I'm always slightly wary of that because whenever I go out to make something, I don't want to make it like something else, but more and more I've realized that I, I need to find ways to convey what I'm carrying in here to, to the mm. people who are putting a lot of money and trust in you out there. So, uh, you know, I troll through films, I'll pull sequences out, I'll refer to things. I keep it quite um, loose, but I'll, I'll talk about, you know, think about the sequences that, that have really moved you. So if you're dealing with something that has, I don't know, um, some level of emotional pain. There are sequences of things that you've watched that you've loved. Watch them and study them and figure out why it made you feel like that mm. and then break it down. So that's homework that you can do. Take apart the films that you really love or the shows that you really love. Pick an episode and just analyze it. Look at how every scene was shot, how it was put together. I mean, you're working backwards from the edit, but yeah. it will build that brain of yours. It's all in there. It's just you having the confidence. There's an area where you feel really good, but then, and, and if you want to do it by having conversations with the cinematographers, they're, they're all great. Go and have those conversations and talk about images before the meeting, and then you can go into the, into the meeting and, and, and have that in front of you. I think it's, it's more, you know, when they come to you, when, I know I've had production designers come to me and go, what do you, like, what colour do you want that to be? And I'm like... I have no idea. Can you, can you bring well, can me some you, options? <laughs> yeah, but, but then the question, then, then, the, then the discussion to have with the production designer is, depending on where you work from, is I feel that this is, I don't know, I'm being literal, but this is a very dark moment in their life or I feel this is a very light moment in the story and I want this to be particularly uplifting or I want this to have a kind of quirk to it or I want this to be. That, those emotional words feed into the way they think about colour. Okay. So your job as a director is you don't have to come up with the colour, but you do need to describe the emotional tone of where you're pitching the story. Yeah. And some directors are un unbelievably visual and, and work only, not only, but, you know, that's their primary way of coming in. You've just got to find your way of coming in. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. That's terrific advice. Thank you, Dimitri. Yay, Dimitri. Hello. Hey. Uh, Ruby says hi to Baloo, by the way. It's funny you were just talking about sequences because um, I, um, I, I don't think you directed this one, but on The Crown, the Princess Margaret and Tony sequence with the uh, Max Richter music on, when on the motorbike. And oh, yeah, that's through the streets of London, just fantastic. Uh, that's Gorgeous. That's Ben Perrin. It's such a beautiful sequence. But um, what I wanted to ask you was um, uh, a bit, uh, yourself and some people like James McTeague, you know, did a stint as assistant directors before they became directors, which is an older path towards directing, which is less and less so these days. But I'm just wondering, um, that time you did that, what did that, what did that bring to your craft and, and what did you get from that? I got, it was really, so I, I became an assistant director because they were the things that were being offered by the New Zealand Film Commission at that stage. So I was like, great, I can be paid to work, which is what I needed. I think it was the same as being on the dole or something. Yeah, was it they they matched the dole, so I could I figured out I could live off it. Um, but when when I it it's taken me it took me a few years to recognise just how much the first assisting and particularly the assistant directing gave me. What you have 
is you have constant working relationships with directors. So you, you see how all these different people work. And actually, once you become a director, you lose that. You're much more in isolation. Yeah. And so you miss that sense of, one of the things I love being on a show like The Crown is you're working with three or four other directors and you're, you're constantly able to see the way they work. And it's a great privilege because often we're just, you just kind of making it up, you do it the way you do it. So I think that's one big advantage. I think it's a really, it's a really great thing to understand how schedules and timing work in order to protect your work going forward. So you, I mean, I can very quickly look at a schedule and go, okay, I'm not going to make that day. That's not going to, so we need to talk about how we're going to do that. Um, but this one feels light to me because I'm, I don't need to, you know, I know there's 11 bits in it, but they're, they're less important to the way I'm doing it. So you, I can feed back to my producers and my first better like that. So I'd say those are, those are two good things. And I don't, I don't think there is any actual path to directing. I think if you want to do it, you just have to bulldoze and find a path to it. You know, uh, everything you do will contribute, including your life experience to making you a better director. Excellent, thank you, that's great. Thank you, Dimitri. And I think that's such a beautiful note to, to finish on, Jess. And um, we've come to the end of our session. Apologies if you didn't get your question answered, but Jess, I think you've given us an enormous uh, enormous insights and thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us all and um, hopefully now you can take a big <laughs> after the crown and, and go forth and focus on, uh, on, on some new projects and enjoy, the, uh, enjoy what you've created when you see it on the screen because I know yeah. that we will. Lovely, Jennifer. That was a really oh, great conversation. It's great. Thank you very much. And to all of you who've joined us today, uh, this evening, this morning, tonight, wherever you are in the world, uh, go forth and, and, and heed that wonderful advice about collaboration, about ensemble, about preparation, about uh, looking for the feeling of something, not necessarily the, the technical aspects around it. Because... Um, yeah, I think that's where the juice is. Yeah, so thank you everybody. And um, thank you so much to the Equity Foundation and our sponsors for hosting this event. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jess. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.